Hello everyone, welcome to the Lisa Burke Show and happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day for those who are listening over the course of what has now become a weekend rather than a day. Uh, yes, I am wearing green and of course Sasha is also wearing green and we've had green throughout the show this morning on the Samstein Show as well. So it's uh, a really special weekend for anyone Irish or who has a little bit of Irish ancestry, which seems to be an awful lot of people in the world. Um, So we hope you're having a wonderful celebratory weekend wherever you live in the world. And as always, we're going to start with a news review with Sasha Keogh. And also in the studio, I have three people from Luxembourg who are going to talk about perhaps the most important topic in Luxembourg, housing. Housing, it is really our number one point of conversation for expats here. I've got Sufiane Sadi, who is the CEO of At Home Group. I've also got Antoine Pacou, and Julien Licheron. Antoine Pacou is uh, working at Lyser and Julien Licheron is also a research associate at the Luxembourg Institute of Socioeconomic Research, Lyser. Welcome to you all. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, well, I mean, everybody needs to know about housing in Luxembourg, but we'll come to that. We're going to start with Sasha. As always, Sasha, we're going to start with a little reflection of the week's news. And of course, today we're going to start with St. Patrick's Day. Yes, so uh, so happy St. Patrick's Day to you, Lisa. You're a real Irish person, unlike (laughs) me standing here in my green, pretending a little little bit bit Irish. (laughs) Everybody's allowed to be Irish That's what I said. Everyone's a little bit Irish. And um, I was having a look. Obviously, there are huge celebrations across the world. There's the massive um, marches in in Dublin and in New York, the the famous or Sydney, um, but in Luxembourg it seems to just be private parties or events organised by various um, Irish associations and a walk to the church. The walk to the church, but the church is closed this year. Yes. So yes. it's the other church in um, Bel Air that the walk is tomorrow. Um, and then obviously, yes, lots of parties in, in, in Irish pubs. I mean, there's plenty of those in Luxembourg, aren't there, with live bands. Uh, I think uh, several pubs have actually flown over bands from, from Ireland for, for the event. So it promises to be a fun weekend, doesn't Definitely it? Definitely a fun weekend. Uh, how are you going to celebrate? Um, well, I, I am a little bit jaded because, as you know, I drove up from Brussels this morning. So I'm, I'm just grateful that I got here on time, actually. But I'm sure by uh, tomorrow I will. I was meant to pop along to the Irish Embassy today. So that would be a nice thing to see some other Irish folk. In fact, I was in Brussels last night. And after this event that I was at, uh, which has nothing got to do with the Irish community, they celebrate St. Patrick's Day at the Irish Embassy in Brussels on Thursday because so many people go away for the weekend um, (laughs) to celebrate and I noticed another sweet thing which is a bakery here in Luxembourg and they they're making special shamrock kind of uh, pastries which uh, with a green thing so I thought we could maybe indulge in some of those oh I think that's a very good idea I will certainly be doing something with my daughters that's for sure I have to make sure they realise they're Irish (laughs) (laughs) so it will be it will not be unmarked let's put it that way but um, yeah so we've lots going on here and also the Gaelic sports team in Luxembourg they uh, regularly play games too we should mention them yes so that's a that's a really big uh, and a a growing sports club I mean I've I've listened to our show Let's uh, Talk Sport and quite often they come up and uh, like Hurling is super popular here, isn't it? Oh, and my mother is from Kilkenny and the Kilkenny cats are like the best in Ireland. So oh, really? She, yeah, she's very, very keen on her hurley. Yeah. I have to admit, I've never seen a hurling match, but uh, I'm, I need to find, Some of the find them and sports, find out. They're quite uh, tough. They're quite brutal. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Big uh, shout out. Yes, yes, absolutely. I suppose we ought to mention something completely different, which is the Iraq War. It's the 20 year anniversary of the Iraq War. 
Yes, so this took me by surprise that it's 20 years ago that uh, it was on the, the invasion was on the 20th of March. So that's coming up next week. Yeah. And there's been a lot in the press and a lot of reflection on, on where we are sort of 20 years on. And of course, with the benefit of hindsight, uh, I have to add, you know, it does seem to have been a, such a disastrous uh disastrous war, even 20 years on, we still feel the effects of the war, really. Um, but as I say, it is with the benefits of hindsight as well. But uh, what I found very interesting is is the reflection again on, you know, at the time we were sold this this story that uh, Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, the the dossiers that said, you know, they, they could reach Europe. Do you remember that? The 45-minute yeah. reach, all this. And of course, we now know that, that this was uh, not true um and and also the the idea after the successful invasion you know they did get rid of um, Hussein's regime but of course um there was nation building afterwards and it left a huge vacuum they got rid of all officials and heads of the army of the Baat party at the time and it did give rise to uh you know more Iranian dominance in Iraq and I mean it's obviously a very complicated issue uh, more extremism the Islamic State, um, you know, the fact that the Americans didn't want to get involved with Syria and, you know, the, the repercussions have gone on and on. And there's been a lot of articles, you know, a lot of hand wringing of, you know, uh, Islamist uh, extremism in Europe. You know, we, we can kind of backdate it all really to, to the invasion. So that's 20 years ago and it's so momentous. So I think it is really important to reflect on it. Well, reflect is a very good word. I mean, we should all learn something from history and history is cyclical. And uh, actually, I must say, I really love a podcast called The Rest is History. So yes. if you like history and you want to learn about history and reflecting on history, even modern history that we are living through, such as this, which we have lived through. Some of you might be younger. <laughs> yes, I, I listen to a sister podcast called The Rest is Politics. Oh, and, I listen to that too. And of yeah. course, uh, the advisor to um, the British Prime Minister at the time, who was Al uh, Alistair, Alistair Campbell. Yeah. And he reflects how, you know, the decisions that were made at the time, why England supported um, America quite as strongly. Um, and also, of course, it reminded me that in Europe, it was more controversial. You know, in, in Britain, we kind of uh, wholeheartedly went against it. There were protests. But of course, Germany and France, I, I'm not sure about Luxembourg, I have to say how uh, what the position was here. But, uh, you know, there were a lot of protests and there was a much bigger anti-feeling. That's interesting because, of course, as citizens, we are fed what we read at the time and social media wasn't so prevalent 20 yeah, years absolutely. ago. Possibly not even in existence, exactly. No, it wasn't, in fact. Um, and uh, so we are fed the news that we take on, which is so important to understand because we are a reflection of the culture we're brought up in, where we are in our time, in our place, in our country. And we have to be very careful to try to find the other sides of the story. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's really important to try and understand so that you look at uh, the, the Middle East and, and, and Iraq and, you know, we talk about the problems there now with corruption, etc. And, you know, you, you need to understand the backstory a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, we also have corruption in Europe, so. <laughs> yes. But yeah, diff yeah, maybe not on the same scale. Not, no, perhaps not. But moving to other 
problems, the banking sector. We can't not speak about this because it's terrible and it's affecting everybody as well. It's affecting a lot of people's deposits for housing, perhaps, as well. So banking has to be spoken about. So, yes, everyone's got the jitters a little bit this week um, after three uh, American banks um, collapsed last week, and especially this Silicon Valley bank. Um, And, uh, you know, in Europe, uh, especially... the. They're saying the contagion will not spread. You know, there is no crisis in Luxembourg or Europe. Um, however, the, 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 the jitters have increased because uh, Credit Suisse um, had to go for a bailout of over 50 billion uh, euros from mm. the Swiss uh, central bank. But again, you know, apparent, apparently, if you believe the investors, I, I know nothing about finance. Uh, you know, Credit Suisse had problems before. Um, so this is not going to have a domino effect. And the European Central Bank is very... Um, well, they they put up interest rates yesterday, so I'd say they're they're pretty optimistic that it's not going to have the same banking or financial crisis that we ha- saw in two thousand eight. Well, one would hope something would have changed to solidify things and people's uh, accounts and investments, but uh, we will see. Uh, but certainly, everything going on geopolitically is affecting things as well, of course, as we as we have seen yes, through, exactly. throughout the last couple of years, ever since COVID and then, of course, Ukraine. So, yes. Yes, so I think we're more conscious that whatever's happening on one side of the world has an effect here as well. It's everything not is that, linked. Yes, everything is linked, <laughs> everything isn't it? Is With, linked. Yeah. Um, another story closer to home this time, the Grand Duke has reacted to the story that came out a long time ago about uh, his wife, in fact. Yes, so uh, the Grand Duke was on a visit to Latvia this week, and um, a, a report appeared in a in a weekly Luxembourgish uh, newspaper um, about about these claims of his wife mistreating members of staff. Um, and this was going back to last November, when apparently, uh, according to the paper, she did not feel that she got enough support from her staff uh, choosing her wardrobe for her daughter's um, wedding. Um, and the Grand Duke, he didn't give his own account of, of this particular issue, but did say that the report was not 100% accurate and, you know, there were more details to the story. And of course, you know, everyone likes royal tittle-tattle. And um, so so there's been quite a lot of uh, focus on, on this story, you know, that also it comes with what we discussed last week, that the government uh, wants to regulate the, the Grand Ducal incomes to five members of the Grand Duke's family and also this report in the Waringa report that came out in 2020 that staff also have the same rights as as any other civil servants in in Luxembourg. So there are quite a lot of issues in, involved. Um, it could all be just tittle-tattle, as we say, but, uh, you know... Well, he so rarely says anything. Very rarely. This is, this is what's interesting to me. He, he, he didn't say anything at the time. It's taken him a long time to say anything. <laughs> I wonder why he said something now, actually. Well, because I think this, this report came oh, out. And then the also, yeah. uh, you know, the government, he obviously meets regularly with the Prime Minister Bettel. Um, but he, the Grand Duke denies having a specific meeting with Bettel over, over this issue. Oh, yes. um, and uh, I think that there's a slightly different reporting of, of that particular meeting. Yes, well, we will draw a line there because we don't have any of the actual details. But you're right, everybody likes a little bit of tittle-tattle when it comes to the royalty in general. It's Uh, quite nice for it not to be uh, Prince Harry for once, I'd say. You know, I quite like tittle-tattling about uh, the Luxembourg royalty for a change. 
health uh, completely. We're moving to two separate stories that align here. One is about our bad eating habits and uh, various other things associated with health in Luxembourg. Well, this really surprised me, mm. I have to say. I always thought that Lux, you know, residents in Luxembourg had quite healthy eating habits. But a cardiologist um, made a report uh, at the beginning of the week saying we eat too much sugar, too much fat and too many calories. And we're following the American or the US trend of just overeating. So we need to change our eating habits in this country as well. Um, but then, the, you know, the, again, a report like this comes out and then there are lots of other people who weigh in. And one of the the people that did weigh in was uh, someone from Caritas saying, well, of course, you know, with, with a lot of people are having uh, financial issues and cannot afford to buy healthy fruit and vegetables and uh, might be... Cost yes, because the cost has so risen exponentially. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So we've talked about the increase in, yeah. in food prices. So that could be one one side of the coin. Yeah. Um, it's not just that we're lazy and greedy. <laughs> no, I know. And uh, I mean, ultimately, we sh- as, as we've heard on the show a couple of weeks ago, we should be growing our own veg and everything. But not everybody has time to do that. So, And not everybody has a garden, which we'll come to as well. Um, yes. but, but just, I suppose we ought to mention also the psychologist support in Luxembourg is still not reimbursed, but psychotherapist support is... Yes, and I feel that this was kind of falsely reported, yes. actually, because yeah. there, they, you know, it went out that we, we there would it would be reimbursed all psychological uh, support, but it it won't. Psych, uh, yes, as you say, psychiatry will be reimbursed, but psychologist uh, therapy sessions will not. So they, the government says they're still looking into it. There are organizations where you can go for free sessions but you know if you just look up a psychologist and try and get support like that 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 will still not be reimbursed yeah and there's i mean i'm sure the government have some rules but i had to actually google the difference between psychologists and psychotherapists yes um yeah and it's a fine line some psychotherapists have medical backgrounds but some don't as well so it's, it's a little bit nebulous but a, a good news story here the michelin awards in luxembourg another food story but again it's not the it's not the cheap side of food Yes, absolutely. So Luxembourg, for the for the small country that it is, now has nine Michelin stars. So restaurants, uh, so eight restaurants. One has two Michelin stars, which is La Longue Souris in uh, Autrange, and uh, and then eight others. And there's there's a, a new one called Eden Rose in Kyle. Um, it looks very pretty. I looked at the menu. <laughs> it's, it's a gluten-free restaurant, but also uh, sort of set in a pavilion. It looks very beautiful. But, you know, it, it just shows you. So the appetite for good restaurants is still here and people are willing to spend a lot of money on a, on a tasting menu, say, will set you back at least 150 euros. So, yes. um, you know, they, they are still going. And that, how lovely that after COVID um, that these restaurants are still succeeding. Yeah. Well, I hear it's your birthday tomorrow, Sasha. Oh, have you heard this? I've heard oh, this. So, right. Will you be going to any nice restaurant? Will you be taken to any nice restaurant for your birthday? He's hoping. He's hoping. <laughs> I've always, I've never been to a Michelin star restaurant and I've always sort of thought, maybe I should. But when it comes down to Call it, out to husband, Gigi. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but when it comes down to it, I'm always like, well... Yeah, but you could go away for a weekend. Oh, yeah, that's that, yeah. I can't quite make myself do it. <laughs> well, no, but the point of a birthday is that somebody else somebody does else it Somebody else does you. it, yes, exactly. So shout out. <laughs> <laughs> to anybody listening who, uh, yes, well, Sasha won't say no. <laughs> and final story, it's about uh, ChatGPT. Yes, we spoke about ChatGPT mm. before, didn't we? But now a new version has already come out. Seems very quick since mm. um, the original version came out. And... Um, <laughs> 
this one will be able to recognize pictures already. So so we're already moving on. So one of the things that jumped out at me was that um, it will take a picture of different ingredients and make a recipe for you. I love that. <laughs> it's like, here's a picture of my fridge. What yes, can I what make can you for do? dinner when I'm not going to my 150 euro a night tasting menu? <laughs> Yes, so this really nice. appealed to me, actually. Yeah, I like that. Um, That's a really good idea. That's a good use of ChatGPT. And, and you know, more seriously, I, I've noticed increasingly schools, the whole discussion about how to use it, that schools here in Luxembourg are trying to integrate it. I mean, we all realise we can't just ignore it. We've just got to somehow find a way of working with it. With it, yeah, absolutely. It's part of our lives now. Yeah. And it's no, it really is getting going to get more and more entrenched. Do you realise if, yeah. if after... What, less than three months already there's an updated version and apparently it's much, much improved, then, uh, you know, watch this space in six months' time or let alone... We will be chatting about it again. I'm <laughs> yes. sure about that. Well, Sasha, as always, delightful to have you here to reflect on the week's news. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Locally and globally. And we all wish you a very happy birthday oh, for tomorrow. You. That's really kind. Well, it's it's wonderful that it's just <laughs> so <laughs> close to St. Patrick's Day. I was day. keeping it secret. <laughs> oh, no, nothing escapes us here at RTL today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sasha. The Lisa Burke Show. Now, moving on to perhaps one of the most talked about subjects in Luxembourg. It is, of course, housing, the housing market. And let me introduce my guest to you. I have Sufian Sadi, who is CEO of At Home Group. Sufian, uh, after working at PwC for six years, joined Zynga, one of the largest online gaming companies in the world, uh, quoted on the Nasdaq, heading the European finance team and managing all non-US revenues. And in 2015, he joined At Home group where it's now possible to search, find, sell, finance, insure a property or a car. So welcome to you, Sufiane. Thank you, Lisa, for uh, the invitation. It's a great pleasure to be here today with all of you. Oh, I wish you, even though I'm not wearing green, I wish <laughs> you a happy St. Patrick's Day. Thank you. You're very welcome to wear green anytime and join all of our <laughs> Irish celebrations. Antoine Pacou is a social geographer interested in the inequalities created through the ownership of land and housing. He coordinates the Housing Observatory, which is a collaboration between Lyser and the Luxembourg Housing Ministry, and is published on Houseman's Transformation of Paris, on Buy-to-Let Gentrification in the United Kingdom, and on the diverse consequences of Luxembourg's highly unequal land ownership structure. We will talk more about that, Antoine. Great to have you here. Thanks, and Your colleague, Julien Lichiron, who is uh, no stranger to RTL, often speaking on, on the French sites here, you and Sufiane, in fact. You are a research associate at Lyser. You hold a PhD in economics from the University of Rennes in France. Uh, you were the national coordinator of the Housing Observatory between 2009 and 2018. And your main research interests focus on the determinants of housing valuation in Luxembourg, the identification of housing bubbles and cross-border issues. So we have a lot to dive into here. Welcome to you all. I'm going to start with you at At Home Group. Sufiane, you are seeing all of the changes, all of the trends, all of the time. Give us a reflection of where we are right now in the trends. Wow. Well, where to start? To it's, it's, no, no, it's really, um, it's really a very important question, Lisa. I think, I think today where we are, the, the most important thing is, is really looking at the interest rates. I think we've seen interest rates increasing and we've seen affordability decreasing, which is highly impacting the demand side. 
So basically what we are seeing is people not necessarily today being able to actually buy a property. And yeah. For so many people, it's a dream, you know, and it's that's the most, I would say, the most important thing that we are observing uh, lately and over actually the last maybe nine months. So for those who want to sell a house, how many houses, what percentage of homes are being sold in the last nine months? Well, in terms of percentages, I mean, it's more in terms of transactions, volume of transactions. And I think this is something uh, Julien and Antoine can answer more more easily giving you the exact numbers. What I can tell you is the listings on at home that tell you. So those are the published listings yes. by potentially sellers or people willing to rent their property. And what we have seen is an increase of 52% of the inventory on site, which actually is something never seen before because we had a high rotation, which means that actually properties take way longer time to sell, which is something I have never seen before in Luxembourg, probably over the last 10 to 15 years. So this is really an important trend. And on the other side, a very important trend is the listings for rent, which have been decreasing for the first time, which means that actually the demand for rentals has been strongly increasing over the past months. And this is a very important trend that we are observing on, on at home.lu and basically, I think, reflecting the activity over the last months in the real estate market. And when it comes to the pricing of houses, I'm sure you've monitored that as well. Absolutely. And the prices for renting. Absolutely. Tell us about the trends there. So those are trends related to the, I would say, prices for listed properties. Um, Julien and Antoine can tell you more about the prices reflected by the transactions. But what we have observed is actually a decline in the trend. So the last number that I can give you is that in January and February, the listed prices have declined by 6% in comparison with last year's. Um, so this is something, again, never seen before. I've never seen it over the last 10 years. So this might mean that we might actually see a decline in prices in 2023 in Luxembourg. At least we see it on the listed prices. Yeah, well, that, that would be quite significant. And of course, as you say, it's completely attached to reflecting what's happening with interest rates. Uh, what else has surprised you over the last nine-ish months? Well, one of the things that I would say has been um, surprising is, is, is actually how fast things have happened. So the war in Ukraine started, and then we've seen the inflationary cycle. We've seen interest rates going up very, very fast. We've seen a market that was very, very dynamic starting to actually slow down. The number of transactions started to decrease. And we've heard many things about construction companies also being impacted very, very fast. The affordability has decreased by 25%, which means that many people actually have been excluded from the ability to buy a property. And all this has happened within a few quarters versus a market that has been actually almost doing the same for years, i.e. prices going up year after year after year. And I think this is the most surprising thing, is a complete shift in the dynamic over a very, very short period of time. Yes, and you, of course, as you said, it's been such a buoyant, almost non-stoppable market, almost non-stoppable market here in Luxembourg to many people's <laughs> great, well, pessimism because a lot of people have not been able to buy. Um, how is it impacting actually people like you trying to sell properties? How is it impacting the other side of marketing a home, the actual real estate agents? Absolutely. I think it's a very good question, Lisa. Today, it's having um, real estate agents have a lot of difficulties today. 
And the main difficulty is, is to convince sellers to adjust their price. I mean, it's, it's very mechanical. The demand side has been fueled by very low interest rates. The money was cheap. So basically, people were able to buy. Prices were going up. But then we're shifting to, I would say, from a seller's market to a buyer's market. And the challenge for the agents today is to convince sellers to actually adjust their price to be able to match the demand. And that's the most difficult thing for them today. And I think it's potentially something that will happen and I think that needs to happen is this adjustment of prices so that basically the offer is able to match the demand side. So this is the main challenge. Transactions have been going down. The market has slowed down. And that's the biggest challenge for the agents. And do you think that percentage needs to decrease compared to the percentage increase in interest rates? Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, it's mechanical. I don't yeah. think it's, so basically if we take affordability, it has decreased by more or less 25, 30%. Yes, yeah. It doesn't mean that prices have to decrease by, by 30%. But it would be lovely if they did. <laughs> well, we don't want the market to collapse. I mean, we are in a well, it's already value, doing that now. It's a high value market. Yeah. I think we need some adjustments of the selling prices. We've done a survey, 60% of agents told us that they expect prices to decrease by potentially 10%. They said that with the decrease of <coughs> potentially 10%, we could see actually the market going back to more transactions. So if a potential buyer <coughs> was to go out there now and they see a house that they'd like to buy and they offered 10% less, would most people sell? I think it depends also on the property. It depends. I mean, every situation is more or less Of course, different. it's very personal. But and I if think they need to is, sell... This is where the real estate agent play, I think play the role to basically give the right advice because it depends on the property, depends on where it's located, the type of property. Is it a property that needs renovation? We are talking about energy a lot. So I think there are several factors. But to be honest, today, I think sellers have to make an effort to adjust the price depending on the property. It can be 2 3%, 5 potentially 10%. But I think this will, I think, allow the market to basically go back to more transactions because at the end, we really don't want a market with no transactions. That, that's not something we all want. We want a dynamic market. We want transactions, we want construction companies to keep building houses and units. Because at the end of the day, Luxembourg has, has a shortage in terms of supply. And this is not something that will stop. So we're in a stagnant situation right now, but we're in flux when it comes to renting because you're saying that the, there are fewer rental properties on the market. So they seem to be moving quite fast. Very fast and... The rental prices have going have actually been going up, okay. and we've seen a change between ten to fifteen percent uh, compared to very lower rates over the last years, and this is because the demand side has has, has increased because people are now yeah. not able to buy anymore. Well, not that they were easily able to buy before, but at least the interest rates were mm -hmm. low. Antoine, I'm going to turn to you to give us a, a little bit of an overview and the background to this huge discussion on the housing market. Talk to us about the evolution of the housing market here in Luxembourg. Yeah, I think I, I just want to start maybe with, with this idea that um, demand has somehow disappeared um, in the last couple of months. It's something we, we hear quite a lot in, in the media and it seems to me it seems to me to be to reveal something about, about how the, the housing market was, was structured and was uh, and was operating. 
Um, <clears throat> saying that the man has disappeared in a way means that nobody is out there looking to buy a property. But we all know uh, by talking to friends and colleagues and, and just by, by seeing what's going on on social media that lots of people still are, are looking to buy. The problem is that the prices that are on offer um, are, are way too high uh, for people's uh, incomes, uh, has been historically, um, and it's reinforced now, exacerbated now because of, of high interest rates. So the fact that people are saying that demands disappeared um, must mean that they're referring to something else. They're not referring to demand from from you and me, from from normal people just trying to buy a, a home to live in. And what the part of demand that has actually disappeared is demand from property investors who um, have been sort of pulling the market uh, up upwards in the last uh, in the last ten to fifteen years, and for many reasons, interest rates, but also some some measures put in place by the government to um, to decrease the incentive, fiscal incentive for uh, for property investment, this segment of demand has disappeared. Uh, so it should be good news. It should it should mean that it's now easier for for first time buyers, for uh, for people who want to to trade up for a bigger house. To it should be easier for them to buy, right? Uh, but the problem is that the, the market adjustment um, that we heard is probably necessary is not coming, uh, or at least not as quickly as it should come. And I think it's important here to to reflect a bit on on who is a seller in Luxembourg. Uh, we have an existing market with apartments that are already built, houses that are already built, and these are usually traded by private persons, right? Uh, but we have the whole segment of new buildings, new apartments, uh, which is, in a sense, um, controlled by a small number of quite large property developers who have historical land reserves and who are in a position to to wait and see, to, to say, well, we don't need to sell the stock now. If we can't sell it at the high price we want, well, we prefer not to sell it. So I think this adjustment, we, ha we have to see more or less where it's coming from. Uh, it might be that private persons trading between themselves will, will be willing to, to adjust their prices downwards. But for the moment, on the, the segment of new apartments, uh, apartments sold on plan, we don't yet see much, much change. And I think this, this is, it reveals a bit that uh, the market has been artificially um, inflated uh, by this demand from, from investors who, buy in, buy, by buying a new apartment, could you know, not pay income tax for, for five years. And if they did that every five years, they would not pay income tax the rest of their life. So, so apartments, uh, houses, uh, you know, things that we need to live in have become a tradable asset that are purchased mostly because they, uh, they allow these these, these, uh, these um very attractive fiscal fiscal um, strategies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so there's political uh, yeah. incentive, there are massive political incentive to actually go and buy these new properties. Yeah, yeah. And the idea, and this was this this sort of incentive to property investors was put in place uh, in the early 2000s um, because the the issue of supply. Right, that supply doesn't match demand. This is not something new. This has been at least going on for 30 years. And if you go back to the Industrial Revolution and the beginning of the 1900s, it was already a problem. Um, you, Luxembourg has never produced enough housing to house all the people who would want to, to live in Luxembourg. And for me, this is a way to control population change, uh, to gentrify, to make sure that those who do buy in Luxembourg are wealthy people uh, who won't cause problems. Uh, and so you can see this in a very historical sort of long-term perspective as a way to filter basically who is a resident and who is not a resident. Those who can't afford move to neighboring countries. Neighboring countries have to deal with them. So the, the, this lack of supply is, is a historical problem. And um, in the beginning of the 2000s, they had an idea. They said, um, if we put in place measures to incentivize property investors to enter this market, this will be a new demand. 
right? So since there's a new demand, uh, supply should then increase to match this new demand. But what seems to have happened is that supply was basically redirected from first-time buyers towards property investors who were able to pay more, who were buying houses not you but know. they were given the incentive by the government. Yeah, so this was a measure put, I mean, it was put in place in the 90s and then reinforced in, in 2002. But that doesn't back up your argument of gentrification because it's just property developers who probably, possibly live in Luxembourg, not necessarily live in Luxembourg, could be global investors. So the what we have seen um, is that this uh, these incentives to property investors have actually been taken up by residents. So people with high incomes uh, here in Luxembourg who, instead of investing in stocks, invest in, in apartments. And, and this, this was really, I think at the time, meant as a way to stimulate, uh, to st stimulate supply. But supply, it's, it's really stubborn. If you look at the trends over the last 30 years, we have data going back to 1970. Luxembourg has never produced more than 4,000 units in one year. And this was the peak. Normally, it's more like 2,000, 3,000, even some years where it was closer to 1,000. Uh, and this is in a situation where population is increasing by, by 10,000 per year. So the, basically, the, the, the lag between supply and demand is increasing over time. Uh, so, you know, the demand for housing is increasing really rapidly and supply is stuck. But how does that fix the issue that Luxembourg requires talent from other countries to live and work here? I mean, the, the problem is that this... this um, this solution uh, didn't have much cost. Um, it provided a segment of the population with a very attractive venue uh, for investment to build their, their, their wealth. I mean, we have very, very large housing wealth inequalities in Luxembourg because those with high incomes were able to transfer their incomes into property. Uh, and property has appreciated you know, in price extremely rapidly, I mean, especially in the last five years, but it also brings uh, rental yields and it, you know, it has this, this, uh, this tax-saving mechanism behind it. So uh, th this mechanism has allowed a certain segment of the population to accumulate a lot of housing wealth. Uh, and over time, you know, you know, in the last 20 years, uh, up until 2017, and I think Julien will tell us a bit more about that, you know, prices increased, but the increase was not... It wasn't going out of hand. It's only recently that this increase has become so astronomical that, you know, housing is becoming an issue for Luxembourg's attractiveness. Uh, because people, you know, before were coming here because the incomes are, are higher than the neighboring countries. But now they will, they will look at the high incomes they're being offered, but they will also see the housing prices and they will think twice. So I think this is why this, the, this housing crisis has now become a political problem. Uh, and I think... You know, young Luxembourgers are having a, an issue, a problem also accessing the housing market now, which wasn't the case before. But I think economic attractiveness is really what has put housing on the, on the political agenda. Because, yeah. What do you know about ownership of land in Luxembourg? So I think, I think that land is where all, all the problems come from. And land ownership, you really have to think in very long historical terms about this. I mean, since the transition from feudalism to to proper property rights in, in the early 1800s, um, land has been extremely concentrated. So basically large farming families who were, um, you know, who had provided good services to their feudal lords during feudalism were basically granted full property rights to their large farms. 
I mean, large farms in Luxembourg perspective, right? Uh, this is not talking about thousands of hectares, but, <laughs> but you know, uh, imagine 30 or 40 hectares was a big farm in Luxembourg. And over 200 years, because Luxembourg has no inheritance tax in direct line and property taxes are insignificant, um, there's been no friction, no, no, nothing has sort of like impeded the transmission of this land over generations. And so today you find uh, farming families who still have 20 to 30 hectares of buildable land. But today, today this land is worth 10 million per hectare. So these people are sitting on enormous, enormous, uh, enormously valuable uh, land holdings um, and are managing, managing this land with great care. So there are very few land transactions. There's no better investment, right, than having land. It's increasing by 10% per year. You don't have to, to pay any maintenance costs. Uh, you don't have to fix any boilers. You don't have to do anything. You can put a couple of sheep on the piece of land. They will, they will, keep, the, they will keep it tidy. And that's all you have to do. And this is increasing, increasing in value 10% per year. So whenever there's a transaction, the problem is that it's usually, uh, the land usually falls in the hands of the historical large property developers who have very good networks, who know where to go to buy land, which auctions to go to, who to buy from, who's about to sell land because they need to renovate their farm, etc. Um, so we have, a, we have a very high concentration in the land market, uh, which then translates to a very high concentration on the property development market because only the, the developers with the you know, large enough financial uh, shoulders are able to buy these really ridiculously priced uh, land. Uh, so I call this a double concentration. We have a concentration in the land ownership structure, which translates to a uh, concentration in the property development structure. So only a few um, large companies are, are producing the majority of, of, new, of new build housing uh, today. Well, that's a very pessimistic picture, a painting for us there, but it, it, it makes a lot of sense and uh, it leads up to everything in the trends that we've seen and Sufjan has just spoken about. How would you fix any of that? The problem is that there are no quick fixes to this uh, to this situation. I mean, I always say there are three things in Luxembourg which stand out compared to to neighboring countries in in Europe. Um, first is is lack of social housing, so lack of public housing, lack of affordable housing. However, you want to call it, um, there is nothing to shield uh, households in Luxembourg from large price increases. Um, in other countries, you have a buffer. You have 10, 20, 30 percent of housing, which is separated from the market. So whenever house prices, rents increase too much, the population in this housing is protected. Um, the increases are softer. Um, they may be, you know, th there's a way for them to manage through this, this situation. In Luxembourg, we have about 2% of households which are in housing, which is separated from the market. Everybody else is directly impacted when house prices and rents increase. Yes, because the government doesn't own much land. So historically, the government hasn't owned much land. They, they, there are some moments when they purchase land, but usually to have places to to uh, to, to give to uh, companies coming from abroad so it was you bought land for industrial zones that was always that was the only time the government ever got involved in in the land market and we're talking 70s 80s 90s um, it's only very recently that there's been a push to acquire land so this is great and this is what needs to be done it needs to be more aggressive it needs to be uh, there needs to be a land reserve that the government can then use to build affordable housing because that's the main thing that's missing uh, but do they have that I know they have the Kirchberg plateau yeah so the Kirchberg plateau was the only only time when uh, when there was a really a large scale land acquisition process, but it wasn't for housing at that time. 
it was to house the European institutions, but they took much more land than needed for the European institutions because most of them moved to Brussels. So this land reserve was sitting there for years, and it's only recently that it's been developed for housing, actually. You can see that it was used for many other things, for banks, uh, some land was was ceded to private actors, uh, but what's left today in public ownership is being developed as much as possible for public housing because it's it's really what what's missing, basically. So the, the, that's really uh, one thing that can be done, but it's a long it's a long-term process because you first have to acquire the land, you then have to plan the developments, construction takes a long time, but at least there's been really a paradigm shift in, in how you, the land ownership is considered. It's no longer something which you leave only to the private sector. Uh, the public sector has to get it, has to become involved, like in many other countries, right? It's nothing nothing radical. Um, you know, you have health, you have education. These are two things where you would scarcely imagine much private in, involvement. And in the countries where there is much private involvement, like the US, like the UK, more and more, things are problematic, right? You, you start to have huge inequalities develop. Housing is as essential as, as education and health, so you need to have some government intervention. I think slowly countries around the world are realizing that you have to get involved a bit. <laughs> uh, so that's the first thing that, that's, that needs to be done. The second, uh, where Luxembourg has been very different, uh, is in terms of the land tax. So a land tax is a way to make it less attractive to hold land for a very long time and to ensure that land markets are more fluid, that things that people actually do something with their land, build housing, uh, sell the land to people who want to build housing. But at, le at least the, it, it sort of you know, creates a bit more activity on a land market, which is extremely frozen at the moment. Um, so here also, there has been a late realization that the current land tax is just insignificant. I mean, you can pay 50 euros on a hectare's worth of land. And uh, nobody knows for sure how much people pay. But uh, when you look at the, 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 the receipts linked to the property tax, it's less than 1% of sort of like municipal budgets. It's, it's really insignificant. Uh, so they've, they've put, they've sort of, you know, proposed uh, reform of the land tax. Uh, Julien and I were, were involved from a scientific perspective to see whether the valuation of the land plot value was uh, made sense uh, in, in relation to, to transaction uh, costs. And yeah, yeah, it looks looks good to us. Uh, we just have to wait until this thing is put uh, is put in practice. Uh, it's going through the legisl legislative process now. Hopefully it will, it will arrive soon. There's also a mobilizations tax, which is linked to that, which specifically targets land where you can build housing on. So this will be taxed at a higher rate. It will be progressive. So these are all good things to, to incentivize people to actually make use of, of the land reserves. The third thing which is, which is missing in Luxembourg compared to neighboring countries is maybe the most controversial. Um, it it's, it's concerns inheritance taxation, which in Luxembourg in direct line doesn't exist. Uh, I think it's great that the government is moving on the first two. The third three would be a cherry on the cake, but uh, probably probably that's also not for, for right now. Yeah. Well, it sounds like political poison, but it, it sounds not dissimilar to what's happening in France with uh, pension ages. There are certain things that have to be done and they'll be very unpopular with the voters who are mostly the landowners, of course. So we have... Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, there are ways to, um, to, to, to not... Uh, to exempt people who have, you know, who, to exempt the house people live in, to exempt up to a certain amount, but it's really to to ensure that you 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 have a friction on uh, large holdings of property, uh, whether it's apartments, whether it's houses, whether it's land, just to ensure that there is a bit of redistribution. And of course, it exists in many other countries. Yeah. Julien, I want to turn to you now. So. Um, What's happened? I know you have a, a specialism here and, a, and you want to talk about this. Since 2017. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess most of what, uh, what Sufian said is fully, I, I would fully agree with that. So we are in a situation where it's quite difficult to, to just 
know what will happen in the next few weeks or months. And that's important to really look at the market now. But uh, we, we have also to look a bit at uh, what happened in the past, especially in the recent past. Because as Antoine said, when we talk about uh, 2010 to 2017, then the, the prices increased at a very steady pass, something like 4 to 5% per year, which was high, but we, we may relate it quite easily to the shortage of supply and the, uh, I would say, dynamism of demand. So it's clear that this, uh, this path was explainable by fundamentals, let's say. But when we look back at the period between 2017 and 2020, uh, it's much more difficult to explain why prices did increase by something like 12% per year. Without any change in the fundamentals, we had approximately the same interest rates, the same demand. We had the shortage in supply, but it was not higher than it was the, the days before. So it's quite difficult to explain the change in the in the prices and, and the path of increase. Uh, as Antoine said, it's clearly related to investors. There has been a huge rush on investors of investors on the residential market of, uh, in Luxembourg for at least three, three reasons. The first one being... Uh, in uncertainties on the office and uh, commercial markets. So many investors decided to turn to a residential market with, which was perceived as more stable, let's say. Perhaps the rental yields were a bit uh, lower, but it was perceived as at most more stable. Then it was clear that it was also very interesting from a capital gain expectation point of view because of the huge increase in prices. And at the end, as Antoine said, we had huge uh, fiscal incentives for investors to, to go into the residential market. That was absolutely not the case for other markets. So this rush of investors created really an, a huge increase in prices, and it has had huge effects on affordability, the capacity of uh, people to just uh, buy, indeed, in Luxembourg. Until the end of 2021, I guess, there was no effect on the rents. So rents did not increase at the same path at uh, the prices. So that now the rental yields in the, residen in the residential market are quite low compared to historical, let's say, standards. That's the reason why now we, we can really imagine, as uh, Sufian said, that the increase will translate to rents instead of prices. Which is exactly what he is seeing. Yeah. Mm. And that's also what we already saw in the third quarter of 2022. That's the latest figures that we have officially. And then it's clear that we can expect, unfortunately, that rents will go up uh, in 2023. And when it comes to any of our listeners who are renting right now, what are their rights? What rights do renters have in Luxembourg? And is there a cap on how much they might increase, the rent might increase year on year? The, the biggest uh, cap that we have on the rental market is on the level of rents, which is capped at 5% of the invested capital that is re-evaluated based on a kind of calculation method that is uh, defined by the Ministry of Housing. Can you just say that into layman's terms for somebody listening? They just want to know if I'm renting a place, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? What can my the owner of this house put the rent up by? So we have to know what the capital that the owner has invested is. So, so that's the point. So let's say the apartment is worth a million euros. Yeah. And let's say they've invested half a million. Yeah. So it's really dependent on the, on the timing 
that uh, the house was was uh, was. Uh, so it's, it's quite it's, it's it's complicated calculation then. Uh, it's well, it's personal. It's personal. Yeah, it's each. really personal. It's really simple for people who just bought uh, a, f- a few years ago. You know, because the invested capital is something that you can really look at very easily. Yeah. You you would clearly know what the price of a of a house that was built and uh, and and bought in 2010 was. That's quite evident. But if uh, we are talking about uh, properties that have been bought, I don't know, 20 or 30 years ago, then it's much more difficult to know what the invested capital is, especially from a tenant point point of view. It's quite difficult to know what (laughs) is the invested capital and what should be the rent. Well, that doesn't give me a clear answer here for our poor listeners who are renting. That's the point. Well, so it's not that simple indeed. <laughs> and that's also the reason why now the Ministry of Housing wants to make it more uh, clear, much more transparent on what is the capital that the owner has invested in the house. And the idea would be to put it in the contract. Yeah, but that capital might be, if, if the house is 20 years old or so, it might be paid back. Yes, Absolutely. Okay, but, but it's that's, still the, uh, yeah, okay, that's this, the basic is, idea. In that's where Luxembourg is also is very different. Bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it's very different from other countries in which you have caps depending on the value. Yeah, the market value. But that's a very Here, odd that's not, thing. The idea is the capital that has been invested in the in the housing. To you, given that you live in this field, does that make sense to you? Is that the right way we should be doing it, or should we be doing it a completely different way? That's a good question. Historically, we did like that. If we want to change uh, the way we do. It would, it, would, it would have huge effect indeed because those who are now paying quite low rents because because of this cap. Low rents, we must say, compared to the value of the property, perhaps, yeah. not low rents compared to other cities in the world. Uh, well, yeah, depend, true, but depending it, on the city. it also depends because here you have a very huge uh, kind of pr- uh, premium. If you are living in the same uh, dwelling for, I don't know, 10 years, you would not pay the same rent as if you just rent now. Yeah. There is a huge uh, premium, uh, which is absolutely clear, so that you, you can pay quite low rents if you are renting the same property for 10 years. And then if we introduce new solution for uh, capping the rent, it may have huge distributional effects on the rents because some people would be allowed to increase the rents very, very uh, significantly. Who would be allowed? Those who bought, yeah, I don't know, something like uh, 20 or 30 so years ago. If, yeah, if the it's not the, the question of whether the property is old or young. Old it's whether ownership. Old ownership, yeah. yeah. Well, this is quite complex then. So I still don't have any clear answers for rental listeners, which would be a lot of our listeners, I would imagine, given what we're talking about, the housing issues. Um, so can you give us any, you look at the past, can you give us any medium to long-term future thoughts on the rental and housing market, buying housing market? Yeah, so first, if we look at the short run, it's clear that it's very difficult to really know what will happen in two or three months. Uh, It's really dependent on the interest rates first. It's also really dependent on the adjustments that the sellers will do, whether the the adjustment will take place on quantity, so on the volume of transactions, or or if it will happen on prices. So, of course, if prices go down, then we will go back to uh, standards in terms of volume of transactions. But if sellers do not really want to just decrease prices, then we will be stuck in a market with very few transactions, as we seem to be, at least at the end of 2022. That's the short term. It's very difficult to really 
uh, really know what will happen. But if we go back to medium and long term, then we will go back to fundamentals. And it's clear that in Luxembourg, demand or potential demand, as uh, Antoine said, is very high. Uh, demographic growth has been quite steady and, 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 and very important in the last uh, 10 years. And that's clear that demand is still very important while supply is always very, very inelastic to increases in prices. You can have huge increases in prices, but you will not have uh, new supply, which is a bit strange indeed. Well, uh, Sufian, I'm turning back to you now because you've been watching this. And in fact, you've been at the at-home group since 2015. So all of this period of time, uh, well, we mentioned since 2017, Julien has been speaking. Mm-hmm. You've seen that like extraordinary growth. When, actually, I turn to you, Antoine and Julien, has there ever been a decrease in house pricing in Luxembourg? Yes, in 2008, 2009. Okay, along with the market crash. But it was only 5% between the highest point and the lowest point. And what is it? So at the moment, we haven't seen that decrease. We've just well, seen we stagnation. we have seen the decrease on the listed prices. Ah, yes. Those are not the official, yes. I would say, transaction prices. When you say a decrease, you mean a decrease per square meter? In exactly. So basically, it's looking at the properties listed in January and February and comparing their prices to the properties listed in January and February of last year. And we've seen a decrease of 6%. So, we're, yeah, we're moving over the 2008 so, ag- Again, those basically will materialize into transactions over the coming months and quarters. And actually, the official numbers that will be published will confirm basically that, that decrease. But it's something that we are observing, which means that sellers are starting to adjust their selling prices. Marginally. Well, well, actually, significantly, I suppose, for Luxembourg, because that's quite a big shift in prices. percent is, uh, I mean, first seeing the decrease is, personally, is the first time that I see a decrease for a long time. Um, we have seen over the last quarters in 2022, a slowdown in the increase of prices. So basically, this was something... It's a trend that we have been observing and we are seeing potentially decrease in 2022, at least in January and February. But the official numbers have to confirm this trend. You've been looking at all sorts of trends in Luxembourg. Well, you all have been looking at um, different trends. And I know that at home publish all sorts of figures as well. And you publish more academic reviews, etc. Um, where would be a good place to buy in Luxembourg if one could afford it, given the trends you've seen recently? That's a very good question. And I have absolutely no answer on that. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite difficult. In, in, indeed, prices did increase a lot almost everywhere on the territory, which was also the, the great change between the period 2010-2017, where most of the increase was indeed in Luxembourg City and the surroundings. And then over the period 2017-2020, it was much more widespread over the territory with double-digit growth almost everywhere in almost all areas of the country, which was a huge difference indeed. Yeah, I think, uh, Lisa, it's a good question, which actually opens uh, other topics. I think we are talking about about housing, but actually we must also talk about, you know, um, mobility, because where oh, you yes. want to live depends on how you want to go to the place that where you work. And there are many things, you know, we are talking about housing, but... I think it's it's having a clear vision of actually what do we want for Luxembourg, well, and the development of Luxembourg, and there is a concentration now on Luxembourg City. How do you want to shape 
the country, how they want to shape housing, how they want to shape mobility, infrastructure as well. To be basically able to answer this question in a very simple and concrete way, because it's very hard. Luxembourg is very specific. We can compare, I think, with other countries, but actually it's unique. It's a unique country in terms of its population, in terms of how the country has been developing of, over the last 30 years. And I think what we see today in the housing market is a consequence of this development. So today we have a challenge, but, but it's almost, I would say, not good news, but I, I would rather have this problem and try to fix this problem than having the reverse problem, which is too much, too much units available. So we can fix it. And I think it has to come with the longer term plan almost for the next 30 years. What do we want for this market? What do we want for the housing market? What is the objective? We have 70% of owners. It's, you know, it's very high. Is it something you want to maintain? 70% of house ownership in Luxembourg. It is huge. It mm. is huge. So if you compare, I think UK is like 65%, but a city like London, for example, is 50%. So the market is a high value market and potentially this is where we are going to is potentially a decrease and more social housing, more. So this is, those are for me questions which are very important and it's a long-term vision that needs to answer those linked to how we want to develop this country, what Luxembourg wants to become in the next decades. Well, hopefully we'll have some a very strong political vision here. Um, I will, if I get the chance, put it to them. And any political voices listening to this show, we would love you to speak on our show and talk to us about it. I have a couple of minutes left and I just want to throw out another extremely important issue when it comes to everything that you've just said, which is cross-border workers. So I know you work on this as well. So talk about cross-border property as well, because you have these on your site as well. So jump in, anybody who wants to talk to me about the, the cost of living across the borders. I think what's what's maybe important to emphasize is that, the, um, I mean, Luxembourg can be thankful um, that there is such a price differential at its borders, because this is what has allowed until now for the country's economic development to, to continue. Um, if Everybody uh, who works in Luxembourg had to pay Luxembourg prices for their housing. The system would just collapse. No, they, 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 you know, it's just not possible. There are so many jobs where incomes are not very high, who which are only possible because prices are half what they are in France and or in Belgium. So, so I think the, the there needs to be much more uh, collaboration with neighboring countries and much more work to really integrate at a regional level than, than it is today where border regions are just housing workers now and there's there's not much else that's going on. There's some small collaboration, some small infrastructural projects, but it's not at the scale that needs to be. I think the, you know, Luxembourg is is viable economically because of the border regions. I think it's and it's always been like that. It's always been a porous border. There's always been, um, there's I mean, there's al there's always been a, a very strong interconnection, interdependence between the two sides of the border. And I think there's a tendency from the Luxembourg side to say, well, what's happening across the border doesn't concern us. Uh, but at the same time, it concerns everyone here because it's because of the cross border regions that we can we can continue to to grow and develop. So so I think this is a point which needs to be discussed much more so I'm very happy that you that you brought it up and uh, a final thought uh, Julian have you a final thought any wishes that you would have politically to instigate change yeah as, as Antoine said I think that it's very important now not to look that much on incentives to demand and rather look at incentives on supply because we need to build more uh, it's clear that this shortage of supply has to be addressed 
at some point. So any uh, potential uh, measures that will really be made for increasing supply would be absolutely welcome. Well, thank you. And Sufian, I know that we're going to have your colleague on the show in a, in a few weeks' time. Yeah, so uh, last, you know, last word for me is basically, I think we have to recognize that Luxembourg has done an amazing job developing over the last 30 years. I think we can all be proud of, of, of what has been accomplished in terms of, you know, the economic growth, GDP growth, uh, diversity, etc. And I think for the next 30 years, my wish is really to have a housing policy and I would say vision for the real estate market that links with what we want to do for the country in terms of its economic development and have really an alignment between all the components that make this market, whether it's the banks, the construction companies, private sector, um, government, whatever. I think there must be an alignment towards a common objective, what they want to do, and basically then define the how together so that we can keep basically growing and developing as we have been doing. Well, thank you all so much for your expertise. And I know this conversation is going to continue and we're going to have a couple more shows. So if you have any questions that you want to send in to us, please do. You can find me on various social media outlets. You can find us at RTL Today Radio, RTL Play, RTL Today. There's so many means at which you can get in touch with us. Please do. I'm sure you have many, many housing questions and we will have another show with the team here and their colleagues in a few weeks time. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.